Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello, and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello, and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion. It's episode 11 today. Yes, we've reached 11. As it's Black History Month, our guest today is Bill Hearn, co-author of Football's Black Pioneers, which tells the stories of the first black players to play for the 92 Football League clubs. Don't forget you can download the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify or Stitcher. Give us a rating and let us know what you think of the show so far. I hope you enjoy today's special show where we mix football with cricket. Thank you very much for listening. Welcome to the Paddock and the Pavilion, Bill. Hello, Stephen. Thank you for having me. To start with, Bill, when did you get the idea for the book? Well, we got the idea as far ago as 2016. We were mulling over the identity of the first black player at different football league clubs. And we realised that in many cases, not only did we not know, but no one knew. You know, they'd been entirely lost to history. And we really thought we should identify and document them before they were forgotten forever. And when we started delving into the individual stories, we found that each one of them had a um, fascinating story to tell, you know, the, the different stories behind their uh, their experiences and so on. So we, we decided to write a book. And uh, here we are four years later. Uh, it's been published and, and doing quite well. I was going to ask you how long it took. It was four years. Yeah. Four years. Yeah. It was very serious research because we wanted to trace their heritage as well. So we did a lot of um, delving into family history, getting old birth certificates, marriage certificates, death certificates and so on, uh, looking at Caribbean records. So we did uh, we did go into a lot of detail. It is quite a, a sort of an authoritative work. So you, you obviously did a lot of travelling as well uh, during the search. Yes. I mean, we interviewed a lot of the players. Obviously, a lot of them have passed away due, due to the, uh, the time that they played. Uh, so we interviewed family members as well, who were obviously very proud of what their, you know, what, what their um, ancestors achieved. Probably the, well, the best journey and the longest journey was to Barbados, where we interviewed Roland Butcher, or I interviewed Roland Butcher in uh, 
the idyllic surroundings of the University of the West Indies. Uh, Roland's retired now, but uh, he had a wonderful office overlooking the sea. It was like heaven, really. It sounds like you had the best deal there. So David was left at home for that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David was interviewing people at Canary Wharf and places like that. Not quite so glamorous. No, no. <laughs> and did you have to make some changes to the book? I'm thinking of like Barry um, sort of folding and, and teams getting relegated. Yes, we um, we lost Barry, sadly. Uh, we'd written the chapter on Barry. It was a very interesting one, but uh, it went. We had to keep an eye on the relegations and promotions and we couldn't finalise the um, the book until we knew whether Harrogate or Notts County were going to win the, the playoff to come up to League Two. So it was as tight as that really. The, the minute that Harrogate won, we had a draft chapter ready, uh, we slipped it into the book and and it was off. Of course, since then we've lost Macclesfield. Uh, so, you know, things are changing quite quite rapidly and who knows what the um, the effect of the virus might have on the, the future of some of the, the lower league clubs. Yes, yeah, certainly. So the Notts County player uh, was in the book and then was lost was lost to history in a in just a one match. In, in many respects. I mean, we do have a blog. So what we've done is we've put the Notts County chapter on the blog because they're a very popular team and some Notts County supporters did ask us, you know, could you could you slip us in? Well, the compromise was we put it on the blog. And I mean, they, they, it's a famous player in, in Notts County terms, uh, a guy called Pedro Richards. So he would never be lost to history. He was a fairly recent player. Sadly, died very young, uh, but a, a bit of a, a hero at Notts County. Well, that will please a dear friend of mine, Colin Slater, who worked for BBC Radio Nottingham for many years. So I hope he listens to this part of the show. Now, um, did you get a lot of help from the football clubs themselves? Not really. Um, we It was possible to identify most of the first black players without contacting the clubs. Uh, what we did get a lot of help from were, were club historians. Club historians are lovely, lovely people. I guess they're so, so dedicated, they want to share their, their, their knowledge with others. So we got a lot of help from club historians. And as I said, um, families of footballers, ex-footballers. And players themselves, you know, we, we interviewed a lot of uh, high profile players, I mean, not just Roland Butcher, but uh, Chris Kamara, for example. Viv Anderson was very, very helpful indeed. Interviewed uh, Carl Valentine by telephone. Carl Valentine's based in Canada. Neville Chamberlain, the uncle of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. So, yeah, people were very, very helpful. And did you find that a lot of clubs didn't know who their first black player was? A, a lot didn't. I mean, I tried to put a percentage on it. I would say at least... 25% probably didn't uh, didn't have a clue. In Manchester United, it's quite a good one. The, the club did know, although they probably wouldn't have known it, say, five or ten years ago. But very, very few of their fans would know that their first black player was a man called Dennis Walker, who played in 1963, just played one game. Um, a lot of people thought the first black player was Paul Ince or a guy called Tony Whelan or even Viv Anderson. But uh, Dennis Walker was the man and... Uh, he has been recognised recently, thankfully, and uh, there will be um, a plaque um, erected to him sometime. Well, when the virus is uh, allows us to do that. Peterborough is a classic example. We um, we interviewed Brenton Phillips, who we thought was the first black player at Peterborough. Brenton didn't know he was the first, uh, but he just assumed that we got it right. And at the very last minute, I was looking at photographs to include in the book, and I was looking for a photograph of Brenton in in a team photograph. And I saw this other person who clearly wasn't Brenton, but was clearly West Indian. And there was a, a man called Mike Maynard, who played only two or three seasons previously. 
so there was a quick amendment there to make sure that we got the the right person and i'm confident that we have got the right ones but who knows what might crop up in the uh, in the future and who was the first uh, black player to play for one of these uh, 92 clubs the first one was Arthur Wharton going right back to 1895 when he played for Sheffield United at Sunderland. Uh, it was the only game he played for Sheffield United, but he was a, a legend. He played for in, in non-league football. He played for the famous Preston North End team, who were probably the best team around at the time. Um, he played for Rotherham Town in, in the Football League, but they are not connected to the current Rotherham United. But Wharton's famous because he held the world record for 100 metres he was uh, he excelled at every sport he ever attempted, and uh, he is a he was a goalkeeper in spite of his speed. He probably would have made a great winger, but uh, he was a goalkeeper and uh, a very competent player. That's going back a lot further than I thought. So who was the next one after after him? The next one was a player called John Walker, who was a Scot, and he became the first player to play in both the English and the Scottish leagues. He went to Lincoln. Uh, and it's very, very ironic because his childhood was in Leith and it was a very, at Leith in Edinburgh, and it was a very difficult childhood. Uh, the very, very poor, the conditions were terrible. There was a lot of disease around. And at one point, Leith was almost um, declared a foul port, which would have cl- would have been the equivalent of a lockdown now, uh, ironically. But they, they had isolation hospitals and so on. But John survived all of that, went to Lincoln. And he, unfortunately, he died of tuberculosis within a, a year of, of moving there. He'd actually moved back to Scotland when he died. So he died at uh, age 22. And we were speaking earlier before we started recording and up to, say, the Second World War, how many clubs had, had a black player by that time? The, the, the minority. It would be slightly more than 10. There were probably about nine or 10 players, but some of those played for more than one club. So in terms of how many clubs had played a, a, a black player, probably about 15, but you know, very, very much the minority. I mean, for a long time, Jack Leslie, for example, for, for sort of five years was probably the only black player in the entire Football League. Um, there were very, very rarely two. In fact, there was a lot of excitement when Plymouth Argyle were drawn against Bradford in the Cup because each of them had a black player and, and there were headlines in the newspapers. You know, this was two coloured players in the same game. And Jack Leslie hit the headlines a little bit earlier in lockdown because he got selected to play or selected for the England squad. He did. I mean, Jack, Jack Leslie played for Plymouth, who were in the, well, what we'd, we'd call the, the third division, third division south at that time. But he was a very good player. He was selected for England to play against Northern Ireland. The squad was announced in all the newspapers the following day. Uh, Jack was told that he was in the squad. He was there as a travelling reserve. And yet when the game took place two or three weeks later, Jack wasn't in the squad. Jack was playing against Bournemouth and Boscombe Athletic in uh, in Plymouth, while England and Northern Ireland uh, played out a nil-nil draw in, in Belfast. And the only possible explanation is he, he was fit, he wasn't suspended, so we can only suppose he was dropped from the squad because he was black. Now, whether they, the, the selectors knew he was black when they selected him, who knows, but uh, something happened in the intervening period. And he never got that England cap that many people think he deserved. What is nice is that he's now been recognised and there will be a statue erected to him outside of Plymouth Argyle's ground pretty soon. And I'm sure the book records some of the injustices that um, and what the players went through when they first played for some of these clubs. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, if, if we start with Arthur Wharton, the if you look at some of the newspaper reports from the time, the way, the way they describe him, well, it, it's absolutely unacceptable now, uh, but it was just routine to refer to black people in derogatory terms. Uh, one of the very, very earliest footballers and, and a well-known one was Walter Tull, who went on to become a, an officer in the British Army, lost his life in World War One. But when he was playing for Tottenham Hotspur, Bristol City, he received horrendous abuse. And even the newspapers of the time recorded, you know, that how, how unacceptable it was. But he never really played for Spurs again after that. And, and I think the directors really didn't know what to do with him, because if this was going to happen every time he appeared, you know, how can we tolerate that? So he was released, really, to, to move to Northampton shortly afterwards, where he had a, a good career. Uh, but obviously the war intervened and, and he lost his life. I mean, just moving up to more recent times, uh, famously Paul, Paul Canoville, the uh, the first black player at Chelsea, he was booed by his own supporters because of the colour of his skin. The uh, I mean, Viv, Viv Anderson, and, and this is a fairly common situation, Viv Anderson talks about how when he was warming up on the touchline, he was getting pelted with fruit. And he went back to his manager and he said, boss, I, I don't want to go on. And he said, well, if you don't go on, I'm just going to pick somebody else. So you, know, you might as well get on with it. And that was the way it was for black players in those days. They got no support whatsoever. Uh, they were expected to put up with it and just accept that this is a, a part of life. Well, it's totally unacceptable. And hopefully matters now are beginning to improve. Yes, I think so. I mean, uh, a lot of the players said, actually, racism appeared to have got better, but it never really went away. It was always there under the surface. And the, the sort of next step really is at managerial level, because there are still only, uh, well, not even a handful of black managers in the Football League. And as um, Viv Anderson said in the forward to the boot, when he became Barnsley manager in 1993, he was one of two black managers. And they thought that was the beginning of a, of a, of a shift but unfortunately, things haven't moved on and, and they're identical, really, 27 years later. Well, thank you very much for sharing those um, very important points um, about the book. Uh, when did it actually come out? It came out in the first week in September and you know, it's, it's widely available. I was very proud to see it in Waterstones in London yesterday. So it's my first book, so it's quite uh, quite a novelty. And how has it been reviewed? It's been reviewed tremendously well. People are making a lot of comment about how deeply researched it is, how fascinating the stories are, how they're all very, very different. So we're very pleased. And it's got the message across that you know, this is what those, these players went through. We must never, ever repeat it. But there's also a, a celebratory aspect because they achieved so much against um, you know, a very, very difficult background. So I'm glad that they're getting the recognition that they, they deserve. Well, that's excellent news. Now, in the second part of the show, we're going to focus on four debutants who were very good cricketers. Uh, this is Lindy Delapena, Calvin Simmons, Alf Charles and Roland Butcher. So if we start, David, with uh, Lindy Delapena. Yeah, Lindy was, uh, we sort of liken him to David Beckham. It's everything that Lindy touched turned to gold. He was a, he was a middle class sort of guy from Jamaica, certainly wealthy enough for his parents to send him to the best schools in Jamaica. And every sport he attempted, he excelled at, including cricket. Um, he went to Woolmers School, Woolmers Boys School in Jamaica, and it has a, a, a real rich cricketing tradition. 
Um, amazingly enough, six West Indian wicket keepers went to Woolmer's Boys School. So it obviously uh, has a good track record there. Every year, George Headley would bring a, a Jamaican all-star 11 to the school. And Lindy twice hit hundreds, quite big hundreds against um, against the, the, the sort of stars. When Lindy left school, he decided to do national service. And his aim really was to play football in England. And he had a view to, he wanted to play for Arsenal. And Arsenal were happy to, to give him a trial. But the plan was that he would get into the, um, the physical training corps, which would mean he'd be based in England. And then he could play football on a Saturday and uh, do his army activities during the week. But that backfired because he was assigned to the Royal Fusiliers and sent to Egypt. So for two years, he, uh, he, he wasn't able to play in the English League. But he had a great time in Egypt. And obviously, it was a real asset to the regiment because when you've got somebody like that on your, in, your, in your regiment, you're going to win lots of competitions in lots of different sports, including cricket, of course. Um, when Liddy came back to England in 1948, he went to Portsmouth. And Portsmouth were a very good side in those days, and he actually won the league in Lindy's first two seasons. Lindy did play in both of those seasons, but not, not enough matches to win a, a, a championship medal. So what position did he play? He was a forward, uh, sort of inside and outside right. He was a, he had a famous um, shot, a, a cannonball shot. But yeah, he, he, sort of nippy, five foot eight sort of guy. Probably would have played for England in today's circumstances because he would have qualified as English and probably would have got a, a few caps. On the cricketing side, Hampshire showed an interest in him. Hampshire were quite interested in, in signing him. But Worcestershire went even further. Worcestershire offered him a, a very good two-year contract. But Lindy liked his social life and he liked his horse racing. And he decided that he didn't really uh, want to commit to having his summer occupied you know, four or five days a week with cricket. So he turned down that offer and uh, chose a life of probably going down to Goodwood or, or wherever to, to watch the horse racing. Well, that goes well with the podcast. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when he left Portsmouth, he went up to Middlesbrough, where he spent his best years in terms of footballing. And there he played for a very good Middlesbrough cricket club uh, in the, I think it's the North Yorkshire League. And then he moved on to Horden in the Durham Senior League, a very, very strong league. And he was Horden's professional while he was there. Um, just to give you an idea of how good he must have been, Derek Parry was professional at Horden for about 15 years. So you're talking about, you know, they, they, they hired very, very top class cricketers. And Lindy was a, a typical hard hitting all rounder. So well, Derek, very, very Parry, Derek Parry is well known to this area because um, as well, obviously he played for the West Indies uh, test side, but he also played for Cambridgeshire for four or five seasons in the 1980s. So he certainly played at my local ground here at March for Cambridgeshire. Yeah, small world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. While um, while Lindy was at Horden, he got selected for, you know, West Indies Wanderers 11, uh, led by, I think it was Leary Constantine. So he was a, you know, a more than competent cricketer, you know, very, very good indeed. And we talked about everything he touched turned to gold. When he did eventually return to Jamaica, he became a TV personality and he fronted the, the kind of good morning programme on Jamaican TV. So everybody in Jamaica knows him both for his sporting prowess and his, uh, his TV appearances as well. The second cricketer then we're going to talk about is Calvin Simmons. He's a, an all-rounder from Bermuda. Yeah. 
Well, Calvin is, uh, unlike Lindy, Calvin's still alive. He's in his late 80s and he's fairly sprightly. He is delighted to be included in this book. He's there because he was the first black player to play for Rochdale. He only made the one appearance, but he played for the reserves quite regularly. And we've got pictures of him playing against Stanley Matthews and uh, the Busby Babes. But he, he was probably, well, he was a better cricketer than he was a footballer. Uh, he was probably Bermuda's arguably best ever cricketer. I mean, the other big superstar from Bermuda is Clyde Best uh, with a footballing link there. And oddly enough, we've already sold 20 books in Bermuda. Um, That's your big in Bermuda then, yeah. Yeah, we're probably yeah. number one in Bermuda. <laughs> we're, just wait, we're just waiting for an invite. Um, but the, the postage alone is eye-watering. But uh, the, the, the Mutants just say that's a, that's a fact of life when you live there. But yeah, Calvin, who's known as Bummy, he has no idea why he's known as Bummy, but he's been known as Bummy since he went to school 80 years ago. Uh, he's still going strong. And again, he, he was an all-rounder. We know that he... Certainly played against MCC, touring side. We know that he got uh, some big wickets. He got Compton out. He got Graveney out. And I'm sure you're looking at the records there, Stephen, and you can probably remind me who else. A Truman. Truman, he got out, didn't he? Yeah, uh, he, he played in a couple of tour games. in England were touring the West Indies in 1954. And on the way, at the end of December 53, this is Hutton, Len Hutton's touring side, yeah. he got... Um, five wickets in this match and he as you say he got to Jim Laker, Tony Locke, Fred Truman, Dennis Compton and Tom Graveney out. It's not bad is it? <laughs> yeah well England probably the best side in the world at the time as well. So. Yeah yeah and I think he also kept 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 his um he was not out for about 20 something. Yeah the game um, was a draw yeah and he was not so out. They kind of clue yeah. on didn't they? Yeah and, and, yeah. yeah so he's a top top class cricketer very, very good footballer, still alive, still respected in Bermuda and uh, a little bit like Lindy in some respects, a bit of a legend in, in his own island. And then the third player, then we've Alf Charles, who played for Southampton. Yes, Alf is a Trinidadian. He was, a, again, a, a good cricketer and footballer. He played for the top football team in Trinidad, but got involved in a, a riot on the pitch and he was suspended for two years, 1933, for two years. And he decided he'd concentrate on cricket. And he actually came across with the 1933 West Indies touring side as a valet to Leary Constantine, who was a fellow Trinidadian and was famous for nurturing young sporting talent from the island. Although the West Indies were touring in 1933, Constantine didn't play very much for them because he was too busy being professional for Nelson in the, in the Lancashire League, where he was probably the highest paid sportsman in, in Britain at the time. He was on £650 a year, plus expenses, uh, plus bonuses and so on. And this so is during the Depression as well. During absolutely, the, during, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that Alf probably spent more time in Nelson with Leary Constantine. But when he went back to Trinidad, got involved in the riot, he was straight back to England, really. And, and it was a transfer that Leary Constantine had brokered with Burnley Football Club. So Alf came back to England to play for Burnley. He wasn't quite good enough to make the first team and he was released and played a, a lot of non-league football in the Northwest. And he did so well that he came to Southampton's attention. And in 1937, he joined them. But like, like Calvin, it was a very, very brief time there. He only played one game, but it was enough to make him the first black player at Southampton. Went back to the Northwest, played a little bit of sort of semi-professional football there, but played for Nelson for many, many years 
um, up to about 1949. Then he joined Lower House, another Lancashire League side, and was still playing cricket almost up to his 50th birthday. He was a, an interesting man. He, he, he was a teetotaler, he was very religious, he didn't smoke, and yet he ran a pub. And he, he, he stayed in Lancashire for the, the rest of his life. He died there in 1977, so very much became a, a Lancashire Lancashire man, but uh, he was Southampton's first black player and another very, very good cricketer. And the final one of these debutants is probably the most famous of all. Someone very familiar to the Paddock and the Pavilion podcast is Roland Butcher. Yes, Roland. Yeah, Roland came to England from Barbados in right about 1966 when he was a, a young teenager. And of course, coming from Barbados, cricket was his game. And when he arrived in Stevenage, he realised that people across here played football more than cricket. So he got into football and a little bit like um, Brendan Batson, for example. I mean, when Brendan Batson came to England for the first time, he'd never played football, but he suddenly realised he was good at it. So Roland became a very, very good footballer, didn't play cricket very much. And then he, an opportunity came along to play for, I think, Stephen Hidge's third team. And he shone. He was very, very quickly put into the first team and he still shone. And really, the rest is history. He joined Gloucestershire. Uh, Gloucestershire released him to the MCC, where he played alongside people like Ian Botham. And I think innocently, he joined Middlesex, much to uh, Gloucestershire's dismay. <laughs> and the irony of iron is when he scored his first century, it was against Gloucestershire. I think it was 142. But he, what he did do was play football for Stevenage. It was in their non-league days, so we um, the records are a little bit sparse. So we're not quite sure you know, the players the date and so on, but he certainly played as a forward for Stevenage. In terms of his footballing prowess, he went on to become a, a UEFA qualified coach and he took his badge with Brendan Rodgers, the uh, current Leicester manager, and Brendan took Roland to Reading to work with him as a coach. Um, Roland's just recently produced a book about coaching, football coaching, and next year he's taken over the, uh, the running of a club called Barbados Challengers, and he's got Sol Campbell and Andy Cole uh, looking after the, the team with him. So still very, very much involved in football as well as cricket. Yeah, well, we mustn't, mustn't forget and fill in the gaps of his, um, of his, of his cricket career because Roland uh, was the first black player to play international cricket for England, made his one-day debut in 1980 and his test debut in 1981. He had a first-class career with Middlesex between 1974 and 1990 winning the, the county championship on numerous occasions. And he was also the first black captain of Middlesex. Yeah, that's quite an achievement, isn't it? I think he took the captaincy when Mike Gatting was unavailable, but he, he, he captained them certainly on, on several occasions. So he scored over 12,000 first-class runs. So certainly the uh, best cricketer of the debutants, one would argue. Yeah. <laughs> I think so, yeah, yeah. You'd get, yeah. You'd get in the team. Yeah. Of course, yeah. he was a brilliant fielder as well, wasn't he? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think his career was jeopardised. He got hit in the eye by one of the Leicester fast bowlers. Who's That's right, got... George Ferris, I think. That's he... right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he was never quite the same again after that, because obviously you need your eyesight when the ball's coming to you that quickly. So... That's right. Thank you very much for letting us know about the cricketing connections to your book. Now, you must let us know who those six wicketkeepers who went to Warmer's Boys School. <laughs> yes, I forgot about that. Yes, um, well... Carl, Carl Nunes was the first. He actually captained the West Indies. He, he had a Portuguese background. The second one was Ivan Barrow. 
And he was the first West Indian to make uh, 100 in a test match in England. And that was back in 1933. And from what I've what I understand is certainly in 2010, he was the only Jewish batsman to have hit a test hundred. Now, whether things have changed since 2010, I don't know. But uh, that was a, another claim to fame. The third one, is, we're getting into, I think, now people that we remembered a, a little bit. Uh, Jerry Alexander. Yeah, we've heard of him. He, yeah. Yeah, he was the last white person to captain the West Indies in 1960. But there is a he played for Cambridgeshire for two years, 54 and 55, before your time, Stephen. Yeah, my dad would know that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And of course, like many of these people, he was a brilliant footballer as well. And he, he won the um, medal in the FA Amateur Cup for Pegasus. And he actually played for Great Britain in um, 1956 at Wembley. So oh, wow. a, another really, really talented, talented person. Then we've got Jackie Hendricks, who's fairly well known. And of course, Jeff Dujon, arguably the the most famous of the six. And the most recent is Carlton Bohr, who played spasmodically between 2002 and 2012. Quite amazing, really, to uh, you know, to have six wicket keepers come from the one school. And that looks like a question for who wants to be a millionaire, really, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think I'd ask a friend. <laughs> well, thank you very much, uh, uh, Bill, for joining me on the paddock and the pavilion and sharing the football and cricket connections about the debutants just remind us again about the book and where where the book's available yeah the, the book's called football's black pioneers and it is available from amazon waterstones any, any good bookseller uh, also our publisher our publisher is conscience i guess if you just google conquer editions you'll get their website and obviously they've got a selection of books and we're we're one of them and hopefully it'll make a nice christmas present for a lot of people this year. Well, good. Well, thank you very much again. And hopefully the stories will make very good reading and uh, enlighten people on what uh, some of the players went through when they first played football for these clubs. Thanks, Stephen. That's, that is the message we're trying to get across. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Pad and Pad. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.